You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. All right, well, let's see how much you listen to the podcast. All right. Uh Hello, Sue Ann. Hello, Jimmy. Okay. (laughs) I mean, we we were joking that there was going to be a quiz after because we just asked our guest, Sue Ann Staff, if she listened to the podcast. But obviously, if she had, she would know the intro goes a little like this. Hello, Michael. Hello, Andre. Okay, even you screwed this up. No, I haven't. You usually go, Andre, how are you doing? I, I'm just... Like, do I have to play both parts today? Like, I'm being helped by nobody here. Well, what I'm... what I'm, I think I'm just overwhelmed because, first of all, we had dinner. Uh, oh, yeah, you make mean burnt ends. Thank you very much. Delicious. Uh, and, um, and, and then we sat down at, uh, usually we do this either at your, and we got a dog in the podcast. We, yeah. That's not <laughs> Henry. Do. It's not Henry this time. That's not my stomach. <laughs> so it, it better not be. Um, we saw you pack it away. We, um, uh, but yeah. anyway, what, uh, what I, so usually it's either your place or, 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 or my place, the, 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 I guess Hamilton studio or the Niagara studio now we are on what? location right at Sue Anstas dining room table. And anybody who's been Which to Sue Which municipality Anstas, would this be? Lincoln? This is Lincoln. Welcome so to So we're in the Lincoln, Lincoln studio. The Lincoln mm-hmm. studio. And anybody Which apparently been, like CKTV broadcasts out of this dining room. They have. Yeah, they've done. Yeah, they've put seven shows from this room. Right where Tim Dennis is at right where you are. Shelby. Fantastic. Right where I am. Yep. So we're, we're at this table. And I, 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 now I've been at this table before. When your mother's made some really awesome grilled cheese. Oh, oh my God. Your grilled cheese sandwich. I, I'm not going to lie. I was super, super tempted to um, to bring grilled cheese for dinner tonight. Oh, right. Yes. Just because it is my like my favorite memories of like 10 years ago starting to write about wine. It's wrapped up you did the grilled cheese for, right? Not get fresh. You got it wrapped up in the valley. Yes. And like every year it would be a different grilled cheese. And that's where like I think I remember the first year I tasted it was um, apple and brie. Cheese. Star. It was apple, granny's with apples and Swiss yeah. with a Tony DeLuca recipe on top for uh, onion marmalade. Yeah, I was going to say the onion marmalade on that. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a recipe one. that you need to use at some point if you haven't for mm-hmm. a jalapeno popper grilled cheese. <gasps> Ooh, so, jalapeno popper grilled cheese. I'm in. Sign me up. Yeah. So yep. what I originally, when I said that we would, we had jokingly said we'll bring dinner and she said yes. So we, we actually did. Yeah. We did. Um, it was delicious. So I think she thought we were kidding, and we thought we were kidding, and then we weren't kidding. No. Um, but I was about to say, uh, we'll just have your mom make us some grilled cheese. So that was <laughs> that was what I wanted to say, but I went with something completely different. All right, all right, all right. So Next this time. podcast is part of a series, and I think we now have enough podcasts that if you've missed any in the past, I'll have it grouped up um, in a playlist on soundcloud.com slash two guys talking wine. But um, as we said, as penance... For me, hijacking the podcast last year with my agenda, mm-hmm. with with the, the say it louder, please. No, no, it's fine. And you know, I what? think that still counts as a as a swear jar. Thing. Fine, I'll throw my nickel in. Um, Andre's nickel. not allowed to say Chardonnay. Oh, right. Because last year he took it all over. Mm-hmm. It always Chardonnay, and yes. it's all about. And Chardonnay. I mean, for people who listen to this religiously, I'm sorry that we explain it every time we do the podcast like this, <laughs> but it's radio formatics that we're hoping that some people who are listening to this podcast there might be this first time, their first time or their second time. So. I know you're tired of hearing it. I got an email that was fairly critical of some of the repetition that we do on the podcast. Your criticism has been noted, but it's basic radio formatics that you need to re-explain certain things. So uh, I apologize for the repetitiveness. There, there are that. certain things you obviously don't have to, uh, you know, give people context for. Like if we were talking about the Nazis, well then, you know, we don't have to, you know. Jeez, you went dark <laughs> fast on We that. know exactly what you're talking <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, see, you know exactly what we're talking <laughs> Anyways, about there. So we don't have to, but we we're talking to about Cabernet Franc today. Awesome. Yes. Woo. Because and you, you, and I were, you and I were going through the list of, um, like, who are the masters of Cabernet Franc in the province, and who's really, like, like, like raising the flag for it. And unfortunately, it wasn't about, about your winery, Sue Ann, though, but it was about your work at Pillateri, where we were just oh, like... We, were just, we yeah. were just talking about it. And then uh, I think I, I ended up talking to you really briefly, and you said, we're making nine. Oh, yes. Yeah, well... And then I went, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, well and, 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 and I, just, I just want to throw in from your greatest hits as well. Like, I started writing about wine in 2010, and I remember meeting you at Megalomaniac, where you were working right. before... Yeah. And I think you're the first winemaker that explained to me challenging vintage because I remember I'm sure the wine didn't age well. And, that, and that's, that, that's the new bricks. That's the new bricks. Uh, if anybody knows, uh, unfortunately, bricks, the original bricks had passed away. 
and uh, our condolences to the oh, winery and to you, you uh, yes. on that. But uh, he was you, over eleven years old for a Bernie's Mountain Dog. That's substantial. So yeah. he led he led a really great life. So I. I, and I hope I've you're not getting flagged for so it, but you went out and got a new Brick, so this is Brick's Bravo. <laughs> right. Because and on the farm, you don't change dog names. You just stick with the name and, and keep on going. So we had bear, like nine different bears, and uh, or Rex or Blackie or or you know, whatever your dog name is. So to differentiate, the first one now is Brick's Alpha, which is appropriate because he was a bit of, a, of an alpha. An alpha yeah. Yeah. And this is uh, Brick's Bravo, which um, you know works because like, Bravo always got to fill in the shoes of the previous guy. Yep. And that means the next dog is already named. That's Brick's Charlie, Brick's Delta, Brick's Echo, Foxtrot. And uh, we're really Rick's embracing... Brick's Foxtrot. Now that's going to be the... That, <laughs> we're embracing yeah. the radio uh, called signs. So, um, call letters. So, so, sorry, just going back to where I was talking about Megalomaniac, mm-hmm. I remember like being a young wine writer tasting the 2008 Frank Cabernet, and it was like right. 25 bucks a bottle. And that wine was stellar when it was young. I never kept any in the cellar because I didn't know any better at the time. But I remember you talking about challenging vintage, but I think that was a moment too where, you know, I already loved Ontario wines, but that was what really hooked me in were wines like that where it was just like okay it doesn't what, matter whether Cabernet? well $25 Cabernet Franc but you know even though it's a it's a challenging vintage because remember you like I, I, you didn't I don't think you, we didn't have a relationship at that point beyond yeah. you knowing that I was working for CFRB but it's just like sure. you smiled and was just like yeah it was a challenging vintage and I did <laughs> not understand what that meant at the time I understand right. what it means now but like I just appreciated the quality of the wine and it was Cabernet Franc right. so so what what happened was as we were saying we were sitting at this table and we sat down, and there's this page in front of us, and she's actually printed off the wines that we will be tasting. So, and they're all Cab Franc, uh, and and it's pretty impressive because I don't think even I don't think even Thomas has uh, printed anything out for us, and he's been on the podcast oh I don't know half a dozen times, and he's never printed off a damn thing. I know, and look at like that beautiful book that he put together for the two Sam release this year. You know, we never get any yeah, books I mean, like that or book anything. Or nothing. So. We, at least we got a sheet right here. I so think this I'm is, winning. Then this is you awesome. are winning. Hashtag winning score. So, um, you know what? Wow. I, I really don't know where to start this podcast with you, Sue Ann, because in theory, you, you, you probably could be a part of our legacy series because you guys have been growing for how long? Ooh, well, our oldest vineyard on the property here is probably the oldest commercial vineyard in Canada. Um, it's planted in 1899. It's uh, so maybe 122-year-old vines of uh, Concords, which clearly yeah. we do not make wine out of. <laughs> so... But it's a 3.3 acre block that we'll always keep going as a bit of a living legacy of uh, our family and where our roots are. And so, so uh, interesting, just because now I'm, I'm, I'm interested, um, Concord grapes, obviously at 120 years old, are they all, have you had to replant or do you just let them die off and let them go or are they all pretty much healthy as a horse? Uh, no, they're as healthy as a horse. And I mean, obviously you can see some of the vines, we've renewed the vine itself, but the root itself would be 120 years old. And um, so just as required, yeah, I'd take one out, put a new one in. I mean, tractor disease comes along too, which I call it, where, you know, a tractor takes one out because, you know, the guy at the wheel <laughs> fell asleep or something. <laughs> so tractor disease. And, um, anyway, but, but the majority of the vineyard, right, is 121 years old. Oh, those so would be pretty, pretty neat. Old. That is neat. Do you, um, do, I guess, you know, when you're dealing with vinifera, older vines, the plants crop themselves back naturally, the quality is generally higher. Does it make a difference with Concord grapes? Like, do you make really banging Concord grape jelly with that? or Oh, the Concord jelly is just absolutely fantastic from that fruit because the roots have grown, gone so deep in the soil, right? And what I admire about that vineyard is that uh, it's just so consistent. It doesn't matter if it's a good year, bad year, doesn't matter. It is still a pretty steady crop. So every year we get like oh, nine, ten tons out of it. Now, the sad part is there is absolutely no market for it right now. and uh, But hopefully with all the new artisanal juice producers that are coming in, and uh, that hopefully there's a home for it as time goes on. So so what do you do with the fruit, if I can ask? Well, the birds have enjoyed it for the last two years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it did go down to Welsh's in northeast uh, northeast Pennsylvania for the past uh, 15 years, I guess. Maybe. Oh, really? Okay. But that came okay. to a crashing halt uh, two years ago. when um, Well, essentially what happened was the U.S. Army said that everything that is being supplied to the Army had to be 100% American-grown. And so the 2% Canadian content of Concord juice that was in, in Walsh's grape juice made it ineligible to go to the Army. And the Army was their biggest, uh, the biggest buyer. So, so anyway, they just slowly cropped out the Canadian content that was in it. And, and we don't have a place here that processes grape juice. And so there it, there it sits. So is there a better use for that land? Absolutely. 
Uh, however, um, is there better use in my heart for it? No. So there it is. So, so I guess we're, we're throwing it out there. If you have use for some Concord uh, grapes, mm. uh, you want to make some jam or some jellies, some artisan jams and jellies from these things. Uh, I know. Wait, I, do, I, Concords, I do Concords have seeds in them? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yes, yep, lots. <laughs> what were you thinking, Andre? You're gonna make some. Oh, jam? just I don't. It's like because those purple grapes come out like after in and around time, stuff is starting to ripen here, and I always I'm happy to buy them. I think they're like labeled as Niagara or something. Sovereign. Yeah, they, but they generally don't have seeds in them, and I don't. Right, they'd be sovereign. I'm sorry, I just don't like grapes yeah. with seeds. Yes, no, not many do, and and there's a texture to it that's a little odd too. So it's called a slip skin. That's between the skin and the pulp itself. That so it just kind of like like just pops right of the skin, and that's kind of a weird texture too. There's a stringiness to the pulp as well. So I mean, it's not the best eating grape by far, but it tastes delicious when it's right. So. All right, well, so we're 11 minutes in. So and we talked about Cabernet Franc for all the minutes. If anybody needs Concord grapes, that's all I'm saying. I'm trying to sell them <laughs> for you. Okay, you, uh, so the first <laughs> the first five wines that we have on this list, we you have it split into four flights, and we're going to do our best to do this expediently while you talk to us about why you love this grape. Okay. Five of them are straight up labeled chestnut tree. Yeah. And that's the name of the vineyard. Uh, so chestnut tree, okay, so the wines on the property go like this. If it's a white wine, it's named after someone in our family. If it's a red wine, it's named after something on the property. And so we have an amazing story about a chestnut tree here on the farm. And um, it's just off of the northeast corner of the house here. So the Reader's Digest version is this, to make this tree famous and worthy of, a, of, of this wine. So this home used to be an inn once upon a time. Uh, this road is called Stagecoach Road, and it would have um, connected from well where Henry Pelham is on Pelham Road through here over into uh, in front of Flat Rock Cellars. And Henry and Pelham had an inn as well. They had an inn as well, that's right. And um, this road would ended up at Balls Falls. Great. So what would happen in the wintertime is they would, uh, my ancestors, would take ships of apples and pears to England, spend the winter in England, and then come back with ships of cows and they'd use keep the best ones for themselves as herd improvement and uh, sell the rest to the neighbors all right so one winter uh while the men were gone the ladies were attacked the house was uh, uh was under siege um the By whom? Uh, uh, that's that's that's, uh, that's the last part of the story oh, okay okay <laughs> so i just have to have to have uh, save it to the end anyway so and so they stole all the milk they sold all the preserves and the ladies were fine but when they when these bandits left they left a rotting crop stuck in the ground and so they left it there, and so in the spring, this riding crop, riding switch, uh, sprung root and became the chestnut tree that is there today. But the story gets better. Like, who were these bandits, and why were they coming through? And the story is, is that it was Jesse James and his entourage of, of bad guys. <laughs> so, oh, bad guys. So I told this story to one of my employees who've been here for many years, and we're at that stage in our relationship where um, she didn't believe anything I told her anymore. So she's like, Jesse James came through here. Like, so it's so she investigated herself, and when, it turns out Jesse James spent the latter part of his life in Lucknow, 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 uh, like around Kitchener-Waterloo. And, um, and so if, it try, what, to avoid the U.S. Um, authorities. So if you're traveling through Niagara to get from here to there, would you take King Street down below the escarpment, the highest traveled road through Niagara? No. You would have taken Stagecoach Road up here on top of the escarpment because it was a much lesser known road. So... It absolutely could have been Jesse James that planted this chestnut tree. Wow! And you just can't make this story, these stories up. I'm not that clever. So, <laughs> wow, that is insanely cool. So the tree would be, you know, over 100 years old. It's it's storied. It's big. It's it's got texture and and um, it's it's steadfast. It's te- it's uh, lived through the test of time, just like I believe these wines will too. And hence the connection to bring the chestnut tree into the wine. Look so. at that segue. So was it nice. aged into ches- in chestnut not, tree? No, it was just about the chestnut this tree. This is the not her first rodeo, as they say, <laughs> uh, 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 being on, because people have broadcast from this table, and she's told that story many times before. <laughs> so okay, so we've got, we got, we got, the first it, off, three wines from the chestnut, well, from chestnut, so the, your, well, I guess you, it's not your, the whole, okay. Just got to, the so thoughts in, English would yeah, be nice. I know. So... So the vineyard isn't named Chestnut Tree, but it's, it's your vineyard, but the Chestnut Tree is a prominent figure on the vineyard. We have 2016, 2017, 2018. Right. So I poured them um, youngest to oldest. So the 18 is on the far left, and then uh, the 17 in the middle, and the 16 is on the, on the right. And, um, and so the Chestnut Tree only, so all these Cabernet Francs are here tonight, only come from uh, our vineyard here on site. 
which is just about 17 rows that are very long, but 200 vines a row. So it's a, it's a long row of grapes. And um, it's just on the other side of the driveway. So it goes right here from Staff Avenue up to, well, our east-west landing strip. That's kind of the most southerly spot that we'd like to grow vinifers on the property here. The bottles are just too far away for me to catch the sub-appellation. Is it Vine Mount Ridge or 20 Mile? I didn't label it uh, Vine Mount Ridge until the 2018 vintage. So okay. there's a longer story to that, and I was just... Oh, she doesn't want to get into things. it. That's what she's yes. saying. Okay, but we're up. We're up on Vine Mount Ridge. Up we there. are Vine Mount Ridge. Yes. Okay. yes. So uh, um, they, they really I, show a difference in uh, yeah in vintage here. And and, and here's the thing: is, I, I think totally. people people have heard you and I discuss all three of these vintages. And I mean, given 2019 and 2021, I think we're very fortunate to have three. What you and I think to be three fairly good vintages, but very different vintages. So well, in I would go two and one, two really good vintages. Yeah, and one that was. Mm, mm. So in, in, okay, so let's let, let's let's rock through the three vintages real quick. If you could give us in five words your thoughts on each vintage, mm-hmm. so let, I'll, I'll I'll call them out, and then you can respond with the five words. So Perfect. Twenty eighteen. Hot, dry, gorgeous, muscular, incredible. Twenty seventeen. Elegant, delicate. Um, um, uh, there's ringers in there. Find find the good ones like this one. Twenty sixteen. Love sixteen. Hot, dry. Great, great, big, full-bodied red wines for that. And so when we get to flight number three, we'll taste a few more of the 16s. So, Michael, when you were hinting at the, the two that were good and one that weren't, which is the one that to you wouldn't be that good? So 18, because of the of the harvest that was the opposite of 17. So, and I, I, yes, I agree with you. It was a very hot, dry year. But when we got into harvest, it was a very wet harvest, especially the latter part of it. And it was kind of the polar opposite of, of 2017, which was that cool... Vintage, and then suddenly September went boom, thirty degrees, two months. Enjoy your harvest, uh, which it, where eighteen was like. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it happened about October, about October, mid October. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a 2021. It, but it, but it was. Um, you know, 2021. That's what I'm erasing from my memory. <laughs> uh, but if I remember, eighteen around early October to mid October, um, we never got. As I like to tell people, we. If it rains on Monday, you want grapes to dry out on Tuesday, and then you pick on Wednesday. We never got Wednesday. So, um, see the way I, I remember it though is, you see the way I remember twenty eighteen. It was a bit more of the perfect combination, and so when I do tell, do tell, do tell. <laughs> so uh, there's a, the great debate over what was the best vintage of the century lately, right? Was it twenty 2020 twenty or twenty eighteen? And I kind of stayed out of that conversation just because. I really believe that 2018 was superior to 2020 because it was like intermixed with uh, precipitation. And if you don't have precipitation, you don't have water coming from the soil up into the vine. With that water comes nitrogen, and nitrogen is the precursor for your flavor and aroma molecules. So we talk about no water being great, but that, it just it just... You have to have some water. <laughs> so, okay. and 2018 had water. Had so, so 2018 though, was was harvest a challenge, and how did how did harvest affect the overall quality of the wine? Like, is it like 20, because I mean, I think a, a monkey with a barrel and some grape juice can make decent wine from 2020. I, I don't think right. the same can be said about 2018. Correct. And, I, and so, into my mind, I think 2018, if you if you had the right vintage and if you had the right um, cultural techniques in the vineyard. Uh, 2018 was superior to 2020 because you had just that extra water to come with it. So, and I, I didn't find it diluted. And now also, I should probably talk about the vineyard of Cabernet Franc here too, because it is such a tiny buried clone of Cabernet Franc that we have, and the clusters are very loose. So, um, in those challenging vintages, we actually do better here because we have this loose clustered Cabernet Franc and the tiny berries. So the wind can get through there. We don't have the incidents. Of, of botrytis and molds and mildews. That, wow. Uh, which so that was gonna, that was going to be my, yeah. my next question. My next question before you jumped all over me, but and that's fine <laughs> because you were you were obviously supposed to. Because, I don't know, but if you can hear, but you could pinpoint the moment my mind was blown just at, at picturing that because like this year, like everything looked fantastic going into the middle of August, but that mm-hmm. was when the bunches had all tightened up. And so my my question was going to be. Do you think that 2018 is because of your site or your clones? And you've already answered that one. Is because of the clones you're Me growing. Both. Right, yeah. So yeah, yeah. while other people are going, well, 2020 obviously is the way to go because 2018 was, you know, blah, blah, blah for the late ripening grapes, you didn't have that problem because of 
the clone that you're growing. Right. Yes. So yeah. there we go. So it's now that's site specific as far as 2018. So you can't put a blanket on what 2018 was like because it becomes you know more site specific. Totally. As as mm -hmm. for you, but. I Where I think I for still, 2021, you could put a blanket on everyone. <laughs> there were <laughs> challenges. I, I, think, I think the blanket still goes over for 2018, but then you're looking for those those specific sites, right? Those gems. Yeah. yeah. So you are looking for gems, and and they really and they really do do show when when you do get them. Mm -hmm. I think. And so even in 2018, because it was so lovely here and it extended so long, and, and the vineyard has a little bit of a slope as well. So um, as you're getting to those cooler fall nights where you know, where it's still and the air starts to delineate out and, you know, I need to get early frost. Um, here, just because that little bit of a slope, that cold air just keeps trickling on down and down the escarpment to those, you know, poor people down there. <laughs> but up here, up here, it was actually, you know, the, where the leaves stayed on. Where the peons long. are, they can take that water <laughs> up here on the hill. My grandfather had terms for the people down there, but I'll just leave that for another podcast. I, I love that there's like a division between the escarpment for you. Like, you feel like you're cooler up here. And I guess... Literally, you are. We are absolutely cooler. It is cooler, and it's absolutely windier as well. That um, I, I joke that if it's not nailed down here, it's going to blow away. Just because there is always there's always a breeze here. It does not matter the coolest, hottest summer day. There's still a little trickle of air. It's, it's, coo it's cooler to be on top. It's cool. <laughs> um, okay, so let's let's keep moving along. Like 2017, mm -hmm. and um, like I, I, I was actually agreeing with you, Michael, if we're talking about the three vintages. I think as, as journalists, in terms of quality, 2017 has been far more consistent in terms of across the board. And I think the surprise... And interesting. And, and very interesting. It. And the thing is, like, we're now seeing even now some of the, the Bordeaux varietals, the Bordeaux-style varietals trickling out from 2017. And I know for 2017, like, it's, it's a banner year for, for the early ripening varieties, for Gamay, for Pinot Noir, for Chardonnay. But the Bordeaux varieties coming out are like, it doesn't make sense that the quality is that good because the summer really was really, really trash until well, September. This, this, and well, this 17 chestnut is just absolutely gorgeous. It's a it banger. Is, it is just total, you know, juicy and elegant. full of fruit. And there's an elegance here and the acidity is good. And I don't know how long it's been an oak, but obviously it has been. And, and but it's, it's not aggressive. And it has long, like it's not longevity the tannic, there. The tannic structure and the acid that like I, I want this in my cellar to see what's going to happen. I don't. I don't think I'd want to age this for 10, 15 years. But I think in I'd five like to see it years, in 10, 15 years. I, sure. I think. I think this is one where even though it's it's Cab Franc, given that it's Niagara Cab Franc and the acids are as high as they are, I would treat it more like a Pinot in how I would mm. approach it in a cellar. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then they have to serve it maybe too, like that, that elegance. Um, what I find amazing with this wine is how little it has aged since the day we brought it out. That it is holding its time, is holding itself so well, and that elegance and delicacy, and there's a juiciness to it, and there's some of those dried herb notes to it that aren't, you know, that are that are that are dried and they're developed. I don't see, but integrated, grassy like or it's, green it's, notes yeah. to it. It's, all. it's not where like when you get the cab franc that's high in, in pyrazine, where it's just like the moment it rolls off the back of your tongue, it's like, oh, by the way, here's your bell pepper to go with this. <laughs> right. That's not with this. It's 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 a it's it's a consistent like feeling on the mid palate from front to back where the fruit is what's driving the bus. And I think that's what makes great franc from Niagara Franc. Well I, I think where the interesting part is here is that the eighteen I got a lot of, you know, herbal, savory notes, um, peppery, uh, a little bit on the leaner side where the seventeen is rich and round and full. Well, the 18's and, and got a little bit more, like, depth. Like, it's got the black licorice or, like, charred, like charred campfire to it, which is also, like, I mean, that speaks it, to a hotter summer. Interesting enough, but uh, the 17 still speaks to me a little bit, a little bit more. I th I'm hoping that we're not just drinking with our eyes, though, because I think you and I are unapologetic at how much we love 2017. <laughs> well, I, and I think the interesting part now is to go to 16, which was, you know, up until... I think twenty came along was in many people's mind the 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 vintage of the decade, right? Or, or and, and then twenty twenty came along and well, it's going to be the vintage 16. of two decades on the on the border there, right? So, so, that's okay. It's always a good year, right? But uh, but sixteen. So tell us a little bit about you know what makes I think we we waxed poetic about the seventeen, but tell us about the sixteen and what, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, and and so it was fun with the sixteen because um, we had a whole bunch of different barrel treatments which we'll probably get into in flight three. 
that uh, because it, it absorbed the oak or, or, or the oak influence on it was highly different from all of it. So, so this actually doesn't have a lot of new oak in it, and the other ones are our favorite barrels that uh, we selected out of some barrel selections. So, so to think that these were our least favorite barrels to go into the uh, the chestnut trade, how big and sturdy and substantial it is, it just, you know, just shows the um, I don't know, the the quality or the caliber of the wine in, in totality. So. Um, it was a knockout. I mean, it it it, it did really well. Um, I couldn't spit it out. Like, I'm, it's I'm, I'm so not well. gonna lie. I, it's um, it's I okay. Well, first off, it's made me a little bit speechless. But I think I think it's by far the strongest wine of the three right now today. Drinking it, I'd be curious what the other ones will do in a cellar. But it is it is in a very good place right now. It is. Uh, there's lots of uh, lots of uh, fruit. The um, the the oak is 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 still a little bit on the uh, on the front and center side, um, but the fruit is definitely uh, definitely there, and uh, and Andre's taking a picture right now, and he even puts up the peace sign. <laughs> of course, Point isn't back. that customary? I thought I was supposed to do that. It's like yeah, yeah we should have all done that. I didn't realize it was uh, a prerequisite. But the sixteen is I I am still leaning towards that seventeen because right. there's an elegance. To the seventeen and a juiciness that really just you're you're but here's the thing is is like I, I think this is why we did the podcast. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, no but, but but I think this is this is why we're it's our podcast. We can interrupt you. That's Don't right, you yes. interrupt us? I know. Okay, okay, but but there, there is going to be a good there is going to be a good segue because I want your input Seen on and this. Not heard. Right. But I but I think I think it's just you're drawn to the seventeen. It's one of the reasons about why you, like you are the Niagara guy, right? Is seventeen is really what a more typical expression of Niagara Business. could, would, and, and should be. We're 2016. Like we, we got that heat. We got that dryness. And, and you as a winemaker, how could you not be leaning more towards a Bordelais or Californian style right. of winemaking? Like, do you think like in a hot vintage like 16 and, and 20, there's a way to preserve the Niagara-ness to it? And do you think that your 16 really is what Niagara should taste like? Or do you think more like 17, 18. I guess it's a complicated question, but I want to hear, yeah. let's, let's unpack that. Well, you know, that's, that's a beautiful part about Niagara is that we have, we've got the 16 here, which has that California, has the, uh, the Aussie-ness to it because Aussie-ness is a new word. I made it up. Um, I'll it has, take it. has a wretched state. Sounds all right. Yeah, thank you. It. Okay, yeah. great. <laughs> Survey says that's great. Um, and, you know, being formally trained in winemaking at the University of Adelaide, um, this is, I guess, is where I want to go. And we have a board already. I want, big and textured and weight and body. I wanted to beat you up a little bit. I want to, I want to have muscles and, uh, and that is going to you know, just give you a good punch. And so, so it's the, the 16 and the 18 in, in my mind tasting is the ones that are the ones I'm the most proud of. I love the elegance of the 17. And that's, that's what's, that's what's cool about this is there, there's no right or wrong answer about these. Is, there's not one that's superior to the other. It's about what, what you're doing and how you're liking the wines and what you're eating and drinking and, and then, and then maybe some different ageability on it. I always underguess the ageability of my wines, and um, I think everyone in in Niagara does, and I and I appreciate mm-hmm. the conservativeness of it. But I mean, it's the humble, uh, they have a humbleness of it too. It's like, oh, I don't want to say I'll go twenty years. Like, no one's going to believe that. But now, chasing wines I made twenty years ago, I'm like, bloody hell, this wine's doing. It's still a baby, for God's sake. So who well, would guess? The industry is still getting hitting a point of, of mm-hmm. maturity where I think a lot of the industry was relying on on tourism, where you could sit here in your tasting room mm-hmm. and say five to seven years or seven to ten years, and it's a tour bus of people who are taking it home to drink it right mm-hmm. then and there. Where I think we've got a culture now that has matured more with the industry. Like we got millennials now who are getting more into wine, even though statistically on the big picture they're not. But it's people who will come here looking for something to put into a cellar. So I, right. I don't, that's, that's my, my theory on, on just about the, the humbleness. And I'd like to see people maybe push a little bit more when they're talking about how they can age wine. And I don't think anyone until the last few years was looking for aged wines. And I've had more questions in the last year, like what do you have in the cellar? What, what can I get that's older here? I'm like, wow, awesome. So are, are all of these, all these three well, I wanted your, available? I wanted your, wait, wait, wait. I want your input on like the, the, the culture and, well, and, and for, aging and how Niagara has, has I, gone. Before. Well, you know about my cellars. So I know. Like, I know about your cellar, but you're you're an outlier. Like, do you think things have changed from when you started building your cellar? As in, as in, um, and you do wine tours as well, too. So you would have an idea of what consumers are feeling. Well, I, I don't think hmm, that's a good question about consumers. Uh, 
Holy crap, that was the nicest thing you've ever said to me on this podcast. <laughs> what, holy crap? Oh, no. Um, that's a good question. Nice. <laughs> well, you have one every year, and I guess we had to wait till November for it to happen. So, what congratulations. So, 268, you said? So, yeah, yeah, is one every, there. Uh, one compliment every 100. Every, you know, yeah, every so often he comes up with one. So, so I think I think Niagara wines have always been ageable. I think that we've, we've always had an ageability to them. And I prove it time and time again when I open something from, from the cellar and and I go, yep, that that one's pretty good. And you 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 can always tell um, based on the producer. Do you know what I mean? Like there are certain producers that made wine in the past, and you would put them in your cellar. And there are times you go to them to open them up, and you go, nope, I think I can let that sit a little longer. I better open that one instead. And and time and time again, they 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 prove themselves that they are age age worthy. Our our consumers. Interested in age-worthy wines? Look, the LCBO's numbers and worldwide numbers prove that ninety percent of of consumers—it's oh, even higher than that. Ninety percent of consumers consume their wine within twenty-four hours. Ninety-five percent within forty-eight hours. Right. Meaning, you know, you got home, somebody says, "I'm not cooking tonight," and you go, "Neither am I." Put the wine on the counter, and it's tomorrow night you drink it. So there's five percent of the population that is holding wine, and that 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 percentage goes down and down. On length of time, yeah. right? So are they holding it six months? Well, that's probably a bigger chunk of that 5% than the people who are holding it 20 years, which is probably an infinitesimal number of that 5%. All right, so here's a project for you and I, and then we'll, 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 get back to the, we'll make sure we get back to the conversation here, though, is, is maybe we should do a poll of some of the wineries of Ontario who are making wines that are clearly destined for a cellar, like your Tazas and, and, mm-hmm. and Sue Ann yeah. and... Flat Rock and some of the other and, thirty and bench and, 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 and then the high and end, uh, the high end see what sort, of statistics, what sort of statistics we can get about what their consumer, even if we can get some anecdotal stuff about like whether or not the consumer behavior is changing. Because I'm curious about that. Anyways, back to I, I would be surprised if a winery would know that kind of thing unless you. Are... I, know, I think it's going to be anecdotal. We'll have to talk yeah, to them. we'll have to talk is, to yeah, people yeah. in the it, in the trenches. Right. Yes. Yeah, you know, maybe it, maybe it's here. time that somebody does a little a little test where we, you know, if you make a thousand bottles of something. Uh, put a QR code and ask your consumer to, you know, when they finally open it, you know, zap the QR code and tell us the date. Well, Five we'll Rose, find out. Like maybe, maybe Wes is someone we need to talk to about that. Because Five Rose does that, where, oh. where they encourage you to, to open your experience. But anyways, so now, now we're way off topic. Let's put, <laughs> this is supposed to be about Sue Ann and her wines. Let's get back to it. So, so are, first of all, are these three vintages still available, or is this a special opening of the 16 or the 17 for us? So the 2017 is the current release. Oh. 2018 is a pre-release tasting, and um, we do have it in some gift packs, depending on, on what you're looking for. And yeah, sixteen is uh, is from the seller. From got the, it. All right. Thank so, you for opening that. Yeah. yeah, and I do have a few. I, and and one of the things I always have been an advocate of is cellaring wine, and um, so I have held back a good chunk of fifteen and sixteen chestnut tree cabernet franc just for the right tastings, the right spot. See, the right fifteen size, would have been so. interesting as well because mm-hmm. it was also another one of those, but it was a short crop season. It and, was a short crop, and a but a great a great good growing summer. season, mm-hmm. and was overshadowed by how great sixteen, 16 was. But right. I think fifteen is that is that. Uh, Diamond in the rough. That, that if you're holding on to 15s, you're holding on to something really special. Right. And I think they'll even uh, outlast 16s as far as as far as that goes. Those 15s are beautiful. It's All a right. beautiful wine. Yeah. Uh, so I guess on to barrels then. We've got another another flight here. Is this where we uh, we pause the tape for a quick second to get wine in the glasses? I think you got that's it. it. Cool. Okay, so the next part of the flight. Um, I think you mentioned that well, we're so talk. next part of a flight is the next flight. Okay, it is actually flight. the next flight. So. Okay, thanks for correcting me, Michael. That was a very It says right there on the page, okay. page right in front of you. It says flight one, flight two, flight three. Okay, so we've gone from I didn't variation. think I'd have to teach you to read on the podcast, too. F-L-I-G-H-T is flight. Okay, we've gone from vintage variation now to barrel treatment. You got it. Yeah. So I guess I, I, I somehow my intuition knew that the 17 would be Michael's favorite. So let's pull on that, <laughs> pull on that heartstring, and let's uh, do a couple barrel treatments. So this was, you know, this sort of is a bit of fun in 2016 vintage that, you know, had a little bit of extra fruit to play around with. So um, we did some spirit barrel trials. And uh, so in 2016, I think it was, we did one that was a brandy and one that was um, bourbon. That was the 2016 vintage. Okay. And I, I'll, I'll go on the record on this podcast and saying that you're, because We've tasted the bourbon barrel stuff that's gone through the LCBO tasting room. And Terrible. Our sweet, Terrible. god-awful, right. disjointed messes. Yeah. Yours was delicious. 
And it's about keeping you premium. And just now you're just pandering. Right? No, no, I was actually shocked. I remember doing mm. that tasting here with Guillaume. It was Guillaume, me, yeah, and you. That's right. We did that tasting, and I think that was one where if you were paying attention, you could probably pinpoint the moment yeah. that my jaw dropped tasting that because <laughs> I was expecting what I was expecting. Um, so, anyways, let's talk about these spirit things, and I'll ask right. you about the intuition you have as a winemaker to make sure that you don't overdo and, and, it. And right. why? You know, why you decide to do that. But yeah, anyway. Well, yeah. and, and, and the why is because. Because it's there. Because yes. it's there. Okay. Because it's there, and it had the luxury of some volume to play around with. And, uh, well, this must and, have been a learning. It's not more complicated than that. Like, this must have been a learning adventure for it's you, learning, too, though, right? It's learning, it's fun, it was access, and, uh, and you have to do these little things to keep you engaged and, and having some fun. Uh, you know, doing the spirit barrel treatments is a bit of a trend right now, too. So um, do my wines have the sustenance and the substance to be able to take on the little higher alcohol contents that they're going to inherently get from going into these barrels. So so for the 2017 vintage, um, I wasn't able to get bourbon and brandy barrels, but I was able to get, what's in your left-hand glass, is cognac, yeah, and the right-hand one is uh, golden tequila. I just labeled it as tequila, but it was obviously a golden tequila um, since it was aged in oak barrels. Where, which producer did you get the, the, the barrels from, or does that matter? Mm, I, I don't even know, actually, okay. so no. In the case of the bourbon one, I did know it was Heaven Hill, but, that, but I don't know the brandy one. Um, in 2017, I was able also to get um, a peach brandy barrel and put a little bit of Riesling into it. Of course you and, did. Uh, <laughs> and it was, it was just cheesy and fun and silly, and, um, and, but interesting to see that wine when it came out. So that one's already done, finished, sold out, and gone. Um, these two, I put a little bit more of a premium price on it because it is just a single barrel of each, um, and I want them sold as a set. So I see the consumer buying both of these wines, crack them both open with some charcuterie and some friends, have an ounce of one, have an ounce of the other, or bounce back and forth between the two wines, and just compare and contrast. And if you wanted to have some fun, pull your, yeah, you know, your middle wine from the first flight uh, to see the juiciness of that and oh, to right. see how the influence well, the of the, on the uh, table. how the barrels influence the wine. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, all right, you go first. Uh, you're going to well, say nice things. No, my I'm my gonna say, I'm going to say some nice things. No, no, my 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 observation about about <laughs> these off the on the offset. First off, I don't know how much if if I like them, but the tannin is is pretty aggressive in both of these versus the regular 2017. Is there mm-hmm. something about working with a spirit barrel where you're getting more tannin from the wood? Could be because that that alcohol could be opening up the pores of the of the of the oak more. I, I never thought of that. that why, why would that be? Um, and that could be one of the reasons why. Because all, all of these bottles were open right before we started the tasting. Mm-hmm. So yep. it's not like the 2017 was sitting on the tasting bar this afternoon and we're I'm getting try, something yeah. that's had some... Like all three of these were open at the same time and these are not elegant. No, no. These are beat up. Um, you know, th- this is the one that has the kahunas. I was going to you know, give you a little bit of a, of a knockout as well. So I get... I, so I'm not a spirits person. As, no, you're not. As we have we have determined uh, at least three or four times on the podcast. Um, so with the cognac barrel, I definitely get the cognac. I can almost taste it. And it it's, to me, not unpalatable. But, I mean, it's just not, because cognac's not my thing either. Um, but the tequila barrel, I rather like. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I, found spirit, I found the spirit notes on both of these subtle. Mm-hmm. Correct, but, but I find yeah. that they both add um, they both add a sweetness to the wine without adding sugar to the wine. Right, that could be the higher alcohol potentially. That's giving that that sweet sensation. Without what, what is the alcohol in this? Like, we didn't even, like the mm. bottles are, are far enough out of reach that we can't. She grab didn't want them. you right. to see Andre. That's the whole point. She's like, they're probably eighteen and a half, and we're not allowed to know. They're really <laughs> <Surprise>. poured. <laughs> Um, so I think we're um, drink well, up, boys. In the in the the first flight, everyone's probably about like 13, 13 and a half. I think the eighteen is up to fourteen percent. Um, these two wines are uh, thirteen seven and thirteen eight, so it didn't go up too too much. Oh, that's not bad. Not much. Uh, but what's interesting, the two thousand sixteens when we did it when we did it then is those wines went up by about 08 percent alcohol in in that vintage. Well, that didn't happen in twenty seventeen. I can't give you an answer why, um, but just it didn't have that lift in alcohol. But you certainly get the flavor of. Uh, of the barrels, so yeah, I can smell the I can smell the cognac. Uh, I can too. That, mm. on the uh, but on the on the tequila, and that and maybe because tequila is more of a a, a more softer spirit. Mm. Like, well, the other thing too with tequila is um, like when you smell cognac, like cognac smells like a by 
product. Like, it doesn't smell like fresh grapes, where when mm-hmm. you smell tequila, you expect it to smell like agave. You expect it to smell like like the botanical that it's made for, the plant that it's made from. Right. And, uh, I mean, this doesn't smell like te- tequila, but I think that's a good thing. No, <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't smell like anything that it, that you're not expecting. And I guess for the cognac, I smell the cognac. This, this being said, though, this is, in, in terms of the way you're working with the spirits barrel, this is still a lot better than what most of the larger producers are doing with spirits barrels. Right. Oh, yeah, so let, let's go to my question about, like, what, so what's your intuition when you're working with a, with a spirits barrel? Like, how do, you, like, how do you go into this to be like, okay, I don't want this to taste like Winery X's mm-hmm. bourbon barrel, off-dry, disjointed mess made for people who don't really like wine? Like, how do you, how do you approach your winemaking so that you're still appealing to wine lovers like Michael and I? Right, and so I'll, I'll tell you, I went into this experiment with fear because I, I'm, I am taking a beautiful wine that I know is gorgeous from perfectly good barrels that's aging perfectly well and then you know, yanking it from this, this, the womb of that and putting it into an entirely different environment um, because these wines would have been aged in, um, in traditional oak for the first year, like French and American oak barrels, but then transported into the spirit barrel for the last year of his life, so... Since all these wines are about twenty-two months in, in oak barrels, so, and um, and so right. So when I when I did the two thousand sixteens, I was I was pretty apprehensive. Every single month, I was on tasting them to make sure that it wasn't overwhelmed with the uh, the flavors from the barrel. Um, also, the the oak that they're going to use too, making those spirit barrels, is very different than the oak we're going to use for wine barrels, which is far tighter, thicker staves. And so that was that was a fear factor too. Is this a lot thinner staved barrels. So it is going to age faster. So I need to really watch that component as well. So, yeah. So you know, it's fine. Uh, people love it. Um, this is about you know the the person that wants the big full bodied wine. I wanted the story, and um, and so look for those little nuances and differences that exist between the wines. And so, um, yeah, kind of fun. So. so so I say this. That's just to finish my note. Uh, the cognac again on the nose. I don't get it on the mid palate, but I definitely get it on the finish. Yeah. it's definitely there. You you get cognac. So this is definitely for your wine and cognac lover. lover but, yep. but somebody who likes cognac is going to just go, that's my wine. I really love that one. I think for people looking off the beaten path to... Could uh, be. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, if you are if you just have someone in your family who loves spirits or a, a wine drinker you know, that loves spirits and... You know, is still hesitant to get into wine or, or hesitant to do that. Like, it's a, good, it's a good segue or at least a good experiment. Like, where, yeah. Whereas the tequila still smells like the seventeen. With a little bit of something like that, je ne sais quoi. There's something there, but you wouldn't <laughs> go. You wouldn't go. Oh, that's tequila for sure. I, I don't even think you pick it out as a spirit. You would just go. That's a lovely. There's oh, a, I, a, almost I pick a, it out as a spirit. As a as a. There's a little bit of a floral note that was not in the in the. Uh, in I'd the agree 17. with that. Uh, I I think just across the board, like more sweet notes. I like guess pushing the the cherry and the blackberry notes from the the. The the Cabernet Franc into yeah. it's it's not confected but it's still just like it, it, it's riper and the, and the you, finish, you, you left it out a, a, a day longer that than the regular tequila finish too on the end um, that that that, that kind of like that, that heat on the finish you get from tequila the the, fi- the finish is a little less aggressive than the seventeen like it's it's got some kind of nice little smoothness like a nice tequila such as. Uh, before we came here, uh, we had uh, a little bit of a spirits tasting. On a podcast yet to be released, but I, I say on that podcast that for me, tequila generally tastes and smells like youth and regret. And and But uh, thank thank God this wine does not smell or taste like youth no. and regret. I, I, well, it smells and tastes like youth. Uh, the regret comes later. That's hilarious. No, but I'm, I'm, always, I'm always hesitant with tequila and like... Most of us are, don't worry. <laughs> we all oh, have a tequila well, we, we, we story. Taste, we tasted, we lived, tasted a, a, a Patron, like a, a Patron oh, that Michael was sent, and it was just like, I was still hesitant on the nose, but anyways. You'll hear it on, yeah. on a podcast upcoming. Absolutely. Yep, yep. Is that 267? <laughs> podcast 267? Uh, no, no 267 was out the day that we're recording this, which was a day oh, late, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm being God. Probably two sixty nine, maybe two sixty nine or two seventy, yes. something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out. Oh, yeah. Very good. So now I, it looks like we're going to move into flight three. This um, I'm kind of looking forward to as well. Yeah, now that I know that the, what the word flight means, I guess we can move on to the next. Yeah, one. that would be great. Yeah, I think it would be a good idea. Perfect.
All right, so we're now on to flight three. These are all 2016s, mm-hmm. and I love the they, names of these. They I have, have a little bit more uh, fun names. The other ones have been very, you know, chestnut tree cab franc, chestnut tree cognac barrel aged, um, chestnut tree tequila. Like these are all descriptive. Now we've got something called the high striker and knockout. Right. So both 100% Cabernet Franc. So what we did is we took the 2016 Chestnut Tree Cabernet Franc. Um, my sister winemaker, Chris Protonentis, and I went through and did, you know, did barrel tastings and uh, independently picked our favorite barrels, and they aligned. That's how I know. <laughs> Usually you expect that, that, uh, you know, that knockout where you uh, are battling each other about which is the, which is the best. Well, so even, I know we said on the podcast, like when Michael and I, when we're scoring wines, if we mm-hmm. have something that doesn't quite seem right, we'll call each other just to see if we're aligned. And we generally will not 100%, we will not 100% agree, mm-hmm. but we'll make sure that we're not completely out of whack. So, I mean, that's very cool that you and Chris were able to come to, like, a consensus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and the way it split out as well, sorry, as I smell the wines, I, I have not t- smelled or tasted these wines in about a year and a half myself. They've been sitting without labels, and I'm just in the label process right now of uh, designing a new premium label for, for these wines. So, anyway... Um, it's been hard to resist them. And so they're, they're limited production. Um, the high striker, we selected, how does it go? Let's say, let's start with the, the knockout. So the knockout, um, which is the one on the right-hand side, we picked our favorite two barrels to go into that wine. So it's only uh, uh, 50 cases. And the high striker, we picked our next four favorite wine barrels to go into that. And what's even cooler about this is, is that um, we're pretty much even on French-American oak on these wines that they are 50-50. Uh, French American, and they're all brand new oak as well. So, um, so it's amazing how they don't taste like new oak. They I don't. know that's how big these wines are. That the new oak just absorbs in. That it's one hundred percent new oak on these wines, and it's just like integrated in so well. So, um, if I'm if I'm allowed, I'll keep on telling just tell the little story that goes with these. So, so we have the high striker. Are we going to let her? Of course. Okay. Shut oh, up, Michael. Oh, I'm just checking. Sorry. <laughs> score. She so asked permission. I thought we. <laughs> We should give it to her. So, uh, so this kind of goes back to a bit of the battle between uh, escarpment and not and the escarpment and everything. So, um, growing up, my father and grand, uh, my father and his next younger brother Brian, uh, big big boys, big farm boys. Uh, they had a high striker, and they take the high striker. You know what high striker is? You had a great no. big wooden mallet. You over your shoulder, you whack it down, bunk, and you do that at carnivals. And the bell rings. And then the be- right, the little birdie goes up the wire and hits the bell at the top, and then you win a prize, right? So they had a high striker. They'd go around to all the county fairs in the area and set the high striker up and charge people to, to, um, you know, to, to play on the high striker. And they had prizes and stuff. They'd wait for them to make some extra money. But the funny part about this is how you know, they'd go up to, uh, let's say, Dunville and Smithville and all those like, real traditional farms up there. And they'd have to make it harder for you to win up there because the, the farm boys were, were bigger and stronger. So they didn't want to give away too many prizes. But then they go down to Virgil, for instance, to the Virgil County Fair, where all the farm boys down there are just carrying baskets of peaches. And they would be accused of, of rigging the game because nobody could win. And they would take, you know, with one arm, come around with this mallet and bing and score. Like, well, how are you doing that? You guys are, are shysters. Or like, so they had to make it easier to win in Virgil than they did in, um, like, Waynefleet and Dunville. So, anyway, that's the story of the high striker. And the high striker, you've got weight, you have intensity. Um, there's a bit of a, of a pow. Okay, when so it this, is, this is about the heavy hammer. The heavy hammer. The, the heavy, heavy hammer. hammer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then talk about which hammers. Is, which, is, which is crazy because with the... Okay, i got to hear the knockout story because yeah. I find High Striker <laughs> elegant. So knockout, we're getting back to power and structure and uh, intensity. So it is essentially named and will be in honor of my, uh, my great uncle, Lyle Staff, who would be um, my grandpa Staff's brother. So Lyle was Canadian two-time heavyweight boxing champion of Canada. Mm. And, um, in so, what year? I thank you. Good question. Um, it was after the war. So I think it was like 46 and 47, 47, 48. I had to go back and look actually. That's cool. Um, and then after that, he did the professional circuit a little bit and, um, and, you know, box in Vegas and Calgary and Edmonton and, uh, you know, you know, box for box to make money. <laughs> so anyway, big, big boy, obviously, you know, stood six, six and, uh, had obviously had some, some good muscles and, they were, uh, you know, uh, uh, the nickname for my my father and his generation and my grandfather and his generation was the Clydesdales. And uh, so these Clydesdales are mountain goats up here on the Niagara Escarpment. 
And um, that was uh, kind of their, the joke amongst other farmers about, uh, about my family. So anyway, so Knockout is in honor of great Uncle Lyle and uh, his boxing career. Okay, so your, your whole point with naming these wines is to give people the heads up that these are big wines. Like you really want to get that, that, um, that aura of power mm -hmm. out in the bottles. And this is something, I'll repeat this wine. Um, in other vintages, but it's got to be the right vintage. So it is not 17, 18, 19. Um, may, well, maybe 19. I don't think so. It won't be 19. But maybe 2020 vintage. Uh, yeah. We'll go through. I, I won't label them quite yet. But um, about another year from now, Chris and I will go through and do the same exercise again. Look at all the barrels and pick out our favorites. And we'll get the knockout and the, and the high striker, likely from the 2020 vintage as well. So this, these wines can't be forced to happen. Uh, Mother Nature has to give them to me. So I... I I'm, I'm in disagreement with you because you seem to think that the uh, the high striker has got some elegance to it. Yes, it does. I would disagree with you. I think the knockout is... you ignorant slut. <laughs> it's unfortunate that <sighs> stole my line again. But um, <laughs> I just got to it first. It's uh, it's deep. It's dark. It's smoky. It's licorice. It's intense. That's that's what the uh, the, the high striker is. The fruit. The fruit the tannin. is. It's velvet right down the middle. No, it's not. There's it really has that that aggressiveness from the oak. Did you I'm mix glasses again? I did, you I did not. Did. I've been very careful with this. <laughs> you must have. Because the knockout has got that elegance, it's got that floral, it's got that red fruit, it's got that cherry raspberry. It's a pretty wine. It's just one of those wines that just like just rolls across okay, the tongue. I'm worried that I may have actually because because for me the one on my right the one that you, that you poured for me on my right is I find it darker brooding. It's got that like that that smell of damp campfire like when you when you pour. It water looks like we're gonna have log. to drink them again. Uh, <laughs> it's got stronger cocoa notes. The correct yes the, 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 you're, the savory you're, note and it's not like and it's to not me you're piracy, describing the like, high striker like the. Like the cocoa, like the cocoa nib note is like jumping out of the glass, and it, it hits the nostrils hard. On the palate, the fruit is deeper. It's blackberry. It's it's uh, cassis pushing into cassis. Not to, quite. to me. You're you're describing the the, the high striker, and mm. it, whereas the knockout is is just a, 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 a literally, it's that iron fist in a velvet glove. It's just velvety, smooth. Silky, Both these wines are, are sexy awesome. on the tongue. This like, is these just, wines are insane. Like it's it's really such a a, a lovely wine. Um, both of them are very good, uh, but the knockout for some reason I would drink that all night long. Whereas the high striker, I'd want to stick in the cellar and go let it let it come into its own because I think there's there's just there's some real power behind these the high striker. Need, these both need five years easily. Oh yeah, easily. Yeah. But, I'm, I'm glad I haven't tasted them for a year and a half. Actually, that that if I had, it would have. Consume most of it by now. But, but, the, but the knock, to me, the knockout is is the is the prettier of the of the of the wines. The much more, uh, and I elegant. think it's the high striker. So I guess mm. the listeners will have to grab them when they come out. We mm. have, maybe we just sell them as a set as well, just like the mm. uh, just like the, maybe the, we've just the cognac and the. Uh, else. Look at yeah, us. how about that? Oh, so no, these are these are these two are just absolutely uh, lovely wines. They're just fantastic. Before this podcast becomes really way long, we have another flight to get to. So uh, should we should we do that? It's it's ice wine. We don't usually talk about. Uh, I think I think ice wine. I think we should talk about like how the grape comes through. Mm -hmm. um, sure. I mean, it's a part of Niagara's tapestry, and and uh, I think the other one is a Napasamento that you got it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Let's uh, all right. Let's curate? do those quickly, and then uh, and then I think just for the fun of it, we're gonna play stump the chump with uh, with Sue Ann if she's good. Ooh. All right. Let's get on to flight four. Okay. So I'm looking at these two wines in the glass. One of them has got a much deeper cherry-ish color, and the other one I can basically read the newspaper through. So, Suen, what, what, what do we got? Right, so the one on the left is called the Bannister. It is a, a Passamento-styled wine, Vindicure, whichever word you'd like to use, um, coming from the same vineyard as the, uh, the Chestnut Tree Cabernet Franc. So what we did is go through the vineyards, and selectively harvested the very best clusters for this wine, uh, laid them out in trays, and then went through the apacimento process. If we go back to where we talked about the, the vineyard and the really tiny berries, when it went into the um, into the, the chamber where it goes through the, uh, the apacimento process, it happened very quickly because of the high surface area these berries would have had. And the very little, um, very little juice inside the berries because of how small the berries are. So, so it only took about uh, 
I think it's like six weeks for it to go from 23 bricks to I think like 28 is where it ended up in the end. So, and, um, and it's sitting now at 16.5% alcohol. And then with the vinification, how did you treat this in oak and? Right. So then, so I uh, went through a, a long fermentation process um, where it was a little bit interesting because, oh man, because the pH of these wines, because I'd never made one before. So I didn't know all the pitfalls of what and the scary parts of it. And the pH was just extraordinarily high. So battling the acidity was a, was the first challenge we had making this wine. And then because those skins are there for so long, they start to break down as well. So you kind of end up with a bit of like a mash in the end. <laughs> so, so pressing it was a, was a challenge in itself. And, uh, and then it was just a really long, slow pressing process. We did it in a basket press and just did it over two days, um, just do low and long, slow pressure on it. And then, uh, then what do we do after that? So malactic in the barrel, the barrel treatment would have been, as uh, so we had two barrels of this, so it wasn't too, too much. Um, which is another reason why I probably won't do this again because it should have been like six barrels worth of product. Mm. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, I think this is 100% French oak uh, and in the barrel for 22 months. And then we um, bottled it by hand as well. It's in 500 ml bottles. And I'm not sure what the price this will be when it comes out. Um, it won't be inexpensive. Um, but we'll see where it has to also be competitive. So why did you go for 500 mil bottles instead of 750? Um, I just was like, if I, op- I thought it'd be, I thought the consumer would be more likely to open 500 mls than 750. If it's 750, you sit in someone's cellar and they'd never find the right moment to open it. But 500 is a little more approachable and guessing the price would be a little more extraordinary on it as well. Um, it just kept it a little more price savvy as well in the end, which, but that price is elusive right now because I don't have an answer. <laughs> so, um, so it, Go ahead. I was going to say, it's, it's named, uh, it's called the Bannister. Oh, um, there's always a story. There's always a story, yes. So the story is, is that uh, the main barn on the property here was built in 1882, the house in 1883. And when they're building the house, the barn was struck by lightning and had to bur- and burn to the ground. So they had to rebuild it in 1884. Well, they ran out of wood on the property to build another barn, so they had to buy another farm. And on that farm was extraordinary, huge, large cherry trees. And so the cherry wood of the banister in this house is from the purchased farm that they had to buy in order to make good enough wood to build a new barn. So that's the story. You've already jumped ahead to the ice line. I I have. And um, um, it's called the wisteria tree. We're not going to talk about the the Apacimento Apacimento wine? Um, Do you want to say something? I'm just waiting to hear what you have to say about it. Uh, it, Yeah. I just I don't think a passamento is is Michael's style. I I, 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 I couldn't I, I like, tell. I like style. It was really hard to figure that out. I know. <laughs> no, I I it's but it's it to me, um, it doesn't seem to have the weight of an passamento wine that it should have. Granted, it has the sixteen point five. It it feels very light uh, for for an passamento. I think that's I, why I asked what oak tree. Maybe. And I'm not I'm not sure why um, it. In it, it's fully dried, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it doesn't have the weight. It doesn't have the color. It doesn't have a lot of the things that I would expect in a Passamento slash this would theoretically be an Amarone. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't have it. Um, I like the flavor. I think it's a tasty wine. It's just if anybody walks in and says, you know, do you have like an, uh, an Amarone style wine and you pour that for them, they're going to be very confused because mm. as I was watching Andre taste it, I could see the wall behind it. And I was like, mm. an Amarone wine is deep, it's dark, it's dense, it'll take 20 years to actually become something you want to bring to the table. It's kind of like your first yeah, boyfriend, cu- that kind of thing. Totally. I'm curious, and, and I think that's what your intention is with that, like you said, with the yeah. 500 mil. Yeah, I, and it, it's, um, it's, it's, it's very tight. Like it, it, um, I find it, the aromatics are, are closed. It's not, uh, it's not jumping on the glass type thing at me. Um, it would just open it as well. Um, but 16% alcohol, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't come across overly hot. So it tells me it has some goods, it has some... Some uh, or also be, but it's ready to drink hot. as far as I'm so, concerned. Right I think now, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All I, right. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it, it it drinks very well, uh, very well now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and maybe that's because it's got uh, oh no, it's an, a, an eighteen. So, but it drinks okay. very well now. Um, 
but it doesn't have, to me, the complexity that Amarone would have uh, at, at this age. Your turn, Andre. Now that I've shat all over it. Um, no, no, no. I frankly think that I agree with you. I just wanted, I just wanted him to say it, not me. All right, all right, good. Oh, it's the uh, is the burn. You like, like him throw Michael under yeah, the table. Yeah, I just threw Michael then, under the bus. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I, I've got the burn of the banister uh, mm. my rear end. But ice I wine, though, I, I mean, I saw you run to the fridge to get a get a, a cold one in, and thankfully oh, yeah. you did. This is, yes. but it's it's one of those things too where with um, I think ice wine is something that you and I forget about. And I know I for, I know I forget Canada's about Canada's most regifted wine. I, I still I, I joked about it on the radio before that there is a bottle of like that original like 1979 or 1977 in a ice wine that's being ha- handed around at an office oh, right, secret yes. Santa that <laughs> is like from the original one that no one's just ever opened but like mm-hmm. I don't know I've I've been trying really hard because I ha- I have a collection of ice wine just stuff that's been sent to me stuff that I've I've purchased over the years and finding the right way to eat it I think I eat eat food with it right and drink it and I think I've, I've cracked it it's just it's not something I do very often. And like I think you and I have talked about it, hard cheeses, fatty foods, fried chicken. Mm. I maintain ice wine and fried chicken is like if you've never done that, if you want an excuse, and you got to do it on like the hottest day oh, of the summer. Yeah, yeah. But this is because you yeah. don't you don't pour a ton in your glass, so you'll mm-hmm. hopefully go through the glass quick enough. You can keep the bottle in the cooler and like kind of sip and, and right. munch on but it. But this and it this just is works well. this is absolutely lovely. Um, it's now here's here's another interesting part. I find this to be also light, but I like the lightness on this one. Right. Because a lot of Cabernet Franc ice wine almost tastes syrupy. It's thick. Uh, here you have... Oh, uh, you've preserved the acidity. Fantastic. Correct. You've got the acidity, yeah. but you've also got a real lightness, a freshness um, that that I really uh, like, And you, but you've maintained also the flavors, but also on a, on a lighter scale. Sometimes... Mm-hmm. Things just taste like strawberry jam, and they taste right. like full-on strawberry jam. It's like I got a mouthful of strawberry jam, and I'm like, I can only have a little bit. This, uh, you know, I probably could finish a bottle of that and not really think twice about it. I wouldn't <laughs> feel very well because I've done that before. But this is this is an absolute beauty as far as as an ice wine goes from Cabernet Franc. Well, you are at the home of the ice queen, and so. Um... I think you should expect nothing less than some delicious ice wines while you're wait, here. Wait, wait, I've never and heard you referred to as the ice queen. I haven't oh, either. I Seriously? To, I, have, I am not no. even going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. So well, I didn't know if it was because of my lovely ice wines or my personality. So yes, I thought maybe you folks It's not me, the personality. So. <laughs> it's not the personality. But I was like, <laughs> go on, go on, elaborate. Real, like, real yeah. quick, like, where does ice queen come from? Oh, uh, I think it comes from my years at Pilateri and all the delicious ice wines I made there. And then... That continued on when I went to Megalomaniac and started my own winery. How you know those awards just kind of stuck with me as time went time went on. Um, I think the difference with the ice wines that I make is that I really work on the acidity and at preserving it. And um, I think that comes from my Australian training. Believe it or not, that uh, you have to have that. You have to. Have, it's all about balance, and that was so one of the things that really. So the acidity comes in a bag. From here? <laughs> Well, you know, and, and quite frankly, sometimes it has to, especially these wines, because when they come in, they're like four grams of acid, so it has to come from somewhere. Oh, really? So, oh, yeah. No, that is super, 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 super low. So, and, um, you know, just tasting a few ice wines over the over the past weekend that weren't mine, and like, oh, this is really lovely. It's 200 grams of sugar, and what's the acid? Because there's no acid. You've got to have the acidity. If the, if the acid and the sweetness, the alcohol, the flavor don't make a perfect box, then there's a problem, so... Yeah, so this I, I find that I find the acidity on point. I find the flavors on point. I find it light. I find yeah, it, the texture of, is the of, best part about this. Of mm-hmm. Anything, it is almost to the point of being refreshing, and that's the weird part of that. The texture and the acid to me also speaks to ageability because I'm at the point where like I've got ice wines. I won't touch them unless they've been in the cellar for ten years. Mm-hmm. Just if anything to help things come together. I also think it's fun when you open Riesling or Vidal ice wine after ten or fifteen years, and they're not white anymore and right a little golden color to it this is why this is a 2016 ice wine and it, would, it was fermented in oak as well because it's only 250 liters so i had to do 200 how do how do i ferment 250 liters so um yeah 225 it was fermented in oh, and a bathtub a little bathtub gin bathtub ice <laughs> yeah wine. it's not my style no <laughs> and so anyway um yeah so they added some and it was a bit more of a neutral french oak barrel that had been in use for three or four years 
So um, it's not heavy in oak at all. In fact, there's very little, just to add texture and roundness to it, which may be one of those other layers and, of flavor that you're getting. And also protect the wine as time goes on as well. So, See, I, 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 I'll say this. I, I spat the majority of my, uh, my Apasimento. I, I believe I've, I've swallowed every last drop of this ice wine. It's, uh, it's just really... You're not supposed to spit ice wine. Correct. So it's illegal. It's illegal. In Canada, anyway. So. <laughs> okay, so I guess before we, before we wrap, this question for Michael. Have you learned anything about Cabernet Franc today? I didn't realize that there was um, uh, that loose bunch uh, thing. That yeah, that is a little mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. That is really fascinating to the site. And I mean, that's something yeah. that, like, running... ADX and dealing with this year, especially like having people tell me that I would get access to a certain amount of fruit and have that immediately dissipate from weather conditions. And it's not sour grapes to any of the grape growers, but just the conditions. But what is uh, the clone number? Is there a clone number or is it just uh, another Sue Ann staff clone? <laughs> it's the Sue staff clone. Oh, okay. I don't know the number. Oh, all right. No, so, no. okay. But there, but there is a, there is a, like a UC Davis number. There'd be something somewhere. There yeah, is yeah. a number. Okay. Yeah. So there's, but yeah. I, I think that's something we might need to unpack like just down the road since we're already well over one hour. Mm -hmm. Congratulations, you beat Thomas. Right, yeah, <laughs> score. Well, he should have nine wines to do it. He does yes. it in five. <laughs> yeah. That's fair, that's fair, that's fair. This is your nine wines. Is there, is there anything that you want? Okay, and let's not talk about like a um, an, an average consumer or consumer who's mm -hmm. coming in here on a tour bus, but to mm -hmm. people who know about wine, what is like what is something you would like to teach them about Cabernet Franc and your approach to Cabernet Franc? Well, they, the Cabernet Franc exists in some ways. A lot of times they don't, they don't know the variety. And it is probably the most, one of the more obscure Bordeaux grape varieties. It's something that we really need to champion here in Niagara, that it, it has the ability to make it through the winters and get the ripeness through, um, through the growing season to make beautiful, gorgeous wines. Um, I think as far as in the production end, you know, just don't overcrop it. Wait as long as humanly possible to pick it if you're in, in any doubt. So the 2019, for instance, we picked it in the snow. It was two th it was um, November 11th, and uh, there was about uh, three inches of fluffy snow on the ground when we harvested it. So you know what? That's what you need to do to wait. Uh, don't push. Do not push Cabernet Franc in timing or in yields, or else you pay for it. And done. This is where we usually start giving up the social media handles. How can people find you, Suman? Oh, yeah. So hop on uh, Facebook, uh, Sue Ann Staff, or uh, Sue Ann Staff Estate Winery. Uh, internet, www.sue-annstaff.com. Uh, we have an Instagram account, too. I don't really... Sue Ann Staff Estate Winery, I think it if is. If you start typing yeah. in Sue Ann Staff, you're going to find If you go S-U-E hyphen, I hope it comes up. <laughs> Here's the thing I like, is that you, 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 you messed up the beginning of the podcast, but you totally nailed the wrap-up of the podcast, the, the self-promotion part of the podcast. Well, that's what you're supposed to do, I I'm guess. Andre Pruh from undergroundreview.ca. You can support the, these podcasts, this podcast, the very long podcast, uh, at patreon.com slash twoguystalkingwine. Take us away, Michael. I am Michael Pincus of michaelpincuswinereview.com. Sue Ann Staff, thank you very much for having us around your table. Uh, and we are definitely six feet apart here. Uh, it is really dark outside. I'm like looking out and I can't see anything. So that means good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.